Matthew 21, 9, says this, and the crowds went before him and followed him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In your mind, let's go back 2,000 years to the city of Jerusalem and be one of those welcoming Jesus into the great, that great city. Let's stand together and sing. today. Come, have your way among us. Have your way and your will in our lives. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Be seated, and we'd love for you to uh, take one of these connection cards. It's in the pew back uh, there in front of you. So uh, please grab one of these. If you're if you're new with us, maybe this week or, or last week was your first time, we would love to know who you are. And so please fill that out. Put that in the offering plate at the end of the service. And then, of course, everybody has the opportunity to uh, put a prayer request uh, on the back and, and put that in the offering plate. If you want to know more about the church, um, you know, how to have a relationship with Christ, what does it mean to be baptized, there are boxes to check back there and we'll, we'll, we will get you that information, okay? Um, we also want to remind you that these uh, Resurrection Sunday cards are available. And so next week, special... Um, uh, special times, so no Sunday school classes next week. We'll have an 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock worship service, identical worship services. By the way, the 8 o'clock will not have any child care available, so if you don't need preschool care, I should have said preschool, not child, but preschool care, um, if you don't need preschool care, we would recommend and, and encourage you to come to that 8 o'clock if you can, and that will help uh, you know, the, the crowd, crowded, crowd control, if you will, at 9.30 and then at 11. So please take advantage of any and all of those services. Uh, we would love to have you come, invite your friends and, and family to that. <clears throat> As we uh, uh, sing and, and worship and, and study Scripture today, uh, it's not just for today, it's not just Palm Sunday, it's pointing for tonight as well, okay? So as you sing and, and, and you consider what we're singing today, let it point you to tonight at 5.30 where we're going to, as a church body, uh, take the Lord's Supper together. It, it may not be your tradition to come back on Sunday night and do that. We encourage you to do that, especially of all weeks this week as we look forward to Good Friday, um, the the the, the, the uh, sacrifice uh, that Jesus made on the cross and then looking forward to his glorious resurrection on, on Easter Sunday. So, so please uh, prayerfully consider coming back tonight. Um, it, let us uh, continue as, as, we, as we worship together and consider Christ dying on the tree. First Peter 2.24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. On a hill called Calvary, there stands an endless mercy tree. Every broken, weary soul find your rest and be made whole. Stripes of blood that stain its frame shed to wash away our shame. From the scars, pure love released, salvation by this mercy tree. And in the sky, between two thieves, hung the blameless prince of peace, bruised and battered, scarred and scorned, sacred head. 
pierced by our thorns. Indeed, his finished was his cry. The perfect lamb was crucified. His sacrifice, our victory, our Savior chose this mercy tree. Hope went dark that violent day. The whole earth quaked at love's display. Three days silent in the ground, his body born for heaven's crown. ready to praise him for what he's done on that tree let's stand and sing again let our minds go back to that night on the cross I 
cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus fled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all
Well, let's look forward to that day where all the saints will be around His throne. We'll be singing these words. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who said song. Heaven's mercy sees. Sing that again. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sent song. Heaven's mercy sings. Sing to Him now. I'll sing. Pray. 
Once again, as we prepare for the message today, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper tonight, as we prepare for the week ahead, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, let's once again focus on the shed. It's not a light thing, is it? That Jesus shed His blood. Focus on the shed blood of Jesus.
this precious blood that gave me life but in three something is a little different in here today and that is the youth packed in here like a bunch of sardines right <laughs> and that is a blessing most of you some of you probably know they took part in the discipleship now weekend uh, when I was growing up we didn't have D now weekends but as I got older and was in youth ministry we did have some discipleship now weekends and they were good memories of hearing the word and Fellowshipping together, as a matter of fact, on one occasion, I, I was assigned to a home and I had five young ladies. All of them were Catholic. Every one of them prayed to receive Jesus after the week was over. Pretty awesome, wasn't it? All right. Not to say that Catholics can't be saved, just to say those five girls were not saved and they were Catholic, right? And they came to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. So what wonderful times. Glad you're here. Here's your assignment. You cannot let the person beside you go to sleep. Because I know you've had a long weekend, right? Benson looks like he's about to die. I'm surprised he was able even to blow his horn, right? It's Brendan, right? We call him Benson. That's his nickname. But anyway. All right. Uh, get you back up to speed. 
you must see Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, like a jeweler would use a black piece of velvet. They would place the diamond on it to magnify the product's quality so that we can see really the treasure that we have. You'll never understand the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ until you understand the magnitude of your sinfulness before God. There's no way for us to appreciate the grace of God until we've come to understand our sinful condition before the Lord. Listen to the text. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Mm. That is the reading. In Knowing God, J.I. Packer said this, A certain type of ministry of the gospel is actually cruel. Well, that sets you back on your heels, doesn't it? Think about that. It means to magnify grace, but what it does is rather the opposite. It scales down the problem of sin, and it also loses touch with the very purpose of God. J.I. Packer says this creates two problems. It's twofold. First, it depicts the work of grace as less than it really is. And second, it leaves people with a gospel that is not big enough to cover the whole of their need. Well, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 does anything but scale down sin for us, right? And verse 4 will begin to magnify the very grace of God. And now the writer of Scripture and the Holy Spirit, they've put the microscope on the human condition. And the end result so far is that we are in a dreadful condition. But that's just one statement. Why does it magnify sin so much so it magnifies grace more? So that you come to understand that God saved you out of a dreadful condition when you were saved. So, God's great mercy and love would mean absolutely nothing if we were not in the condition that we are in apart from Jesus Christ. So an understanding of our sinful condition is key to the understanding of our great salvation. What I want you to understand is, after you read this text, that we are totally shut up to God alone who can raise the dead. That's literally what has to happen to your heart. God has to take out the heart of stone, which is unresponsive, and he has to regenerate you and put into you a heart of flesh that is pliable, that could respond. If you are saved today, and you have come to Christ, it is because God has made you alive. It's not because you wiggled your toe or raised your hand. It's because the God of eternity has made you alive. God took something that was dead and made it alive. I want you to hear this passage again for the youth out of the New Living Translation. It's a thought for thought, but it helps clarify. Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins, 
You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature, and we were under God's anger, just like everyone else. I hope you hear that clearly from the Word of God about our condition. We can join the hymn writer to say, Guilty, vile, and helpless, we, spotless Lamb of God, was He, full atonement, how can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. The man who understands his sentence before God is guilty will be the man who leaps for joy when he is pardoned. So, whereas verse 1 says you were dead, and how was the realm in trespasses and sins, what verses 2 and 3 magnifies is the external influence that kept you in that condition and the internal condition that keeps you in it. Satan's the outside influence. Uh, the passions of our flesh is the inside. And where does it leave us? According to verse 3, under the very anger and condemnation of God. So we're picking up kind of points 2 and 3 of the outline. And it's in your bulletin. It's listed as number 1. Second, we were enslaved, how? To the world. Did you see that in the text? The devil and the flesh. That is the condition of mankind. We were dead spiritually before God in trespasses and sin. But here's the deal. What a, this is a paradox. How can you be dead but yet alive to sin? But that's what you are. If you're, if you're outside of Christ, you are dead spiritually, but you are alive in your trespasses and sins. You are a walking dead man living in trespasses and sins. The NIV simply says, this is the way you lived. That's not the best translation. This is the way you walked in your former way. Why does, it, why does it say walked? Because that has something to do with the manner of which you conduct your life. How do you, how do you live your life? How do you conduct your life? And it really has the connotation of morality. Morally, how did you live your life? And the text reminds us in which you walked, once walked, following the course of the world. So there's a certain way in which a lost person conducts him or herself. And ultimately, it is a person's walk that portrays what's on the inside. You young people ever heard of that? Does your talk match your walk and vice versa? So technically, we have to say this. We all have a way of, we all have a way of life. Everybody in this room, whether you're saved or lost, you have a walk. What is your walk like. If you belong to Jesus Christ and you've been made alive, then your way of life is a new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, all things become new. Notice what the passage says. This was your former way of life. Folks, if you're saved, you shouldn't be living the former way of life. You should be living like a resurrected person from the dead. And I, I love the way the text says it. This was all of our former way of life before Jesus made us alive. And here's, way, here's the way you walked. A man walks according to the course of this age. Do you see it in the passage? You walk according to the age, everybody listening, of this world. 
So what does that mean? Well, that word course is kind of difficult to translate. We, we get the word world, but what does it mean to walk according to the course? What well, is literally the word age? Not like you're 16, 17, 18, or I'm 50. Not that age, but the, what's behind society's system? This fallen world, this fallen age that we live in. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 1... Look at verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age. That's, that's the meaning here. How about this one? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, let's back up. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body to living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this Actually, it's ion in the Greek, and it is age. Don't be conformed to this age. And here's another one. Galatians 1.4 says, Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. There it goes. There's a good definition of what he means by age. Look, folks, when you're lost, you walk according to this present evil age. No in-between. Young people, if you're saved today, you have a new life in Christ. If you are lost, you are walking right now in the course of this age. Presently. Right now is what the Bible says. And what about the word world? Well, that is the word you hear, cosmos. You, you, put, you got age and world. And some of you are already thinking about 1 John 2. Love not the world, cosmos, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And he says this, and this world is passing away. Aren't you thankful? You watch the news this morning? This world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the Lord will abide forever. This world, folks, is hostile toward God. I hope you figured this out. This age and this world is hostile toward God. So we're talking about a way of life that a lost person has in this fallen world because you're born out of Adam. And that is a different life than the life that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. So your life is described as a lost person in an unredeemed state as someone who is outside of Christ. Peter O'Brien says it like this. This reference to society's attitudes, habits, and preferences which are against God and his standards. This is the whole social value system that dominates non-Christian non society. So the unbeliever lives under a worldview and conducts his or herself in this worldview that's apart from Christ. Now, ever so often we hear people talking about charting your own course. Uh, making your own decisions. I'm just autonomous and I'm a libertarian and I'm just going my own way. But I want you to understand, folks, that the course you are going down is not new. It's not original. It's actually the course of this world. You are living, if you're lost, in a course that has already been set out for you if you're lost. And millions upon millions of people have been down this road, are on this road, and are going to be on this road in the future. It is... It is the Word of God telling us this. 
There's not one whit of originality in your sin and in your rebellion as unbelievers. You're going down the same track that everybody has ever gone before you that do not know Christ. When I'm driving to Alabama, I go through Lane and Courtney's neck of the woods, and you see all these flat fields with furrows in them. Have you ever tried to drive across those furrows this way? Son, that, that's tough. But just think for a moment if you get your truck or car in those furrows and start to drive. I'm just telling you, folks, you're not going to go too fast and you're not going to go too far. You're actually in a rut that you cannot get out of. And, folks, this is the course of the world. It is a furrow that gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And you are helpless and you cannot get out of that furrow without Jesus Christ. You cannot get out of that condition without him. So... The course that you are on apart from Christ. Now listen, an atheist didn't make up this course. A secular humanist did not make up this course. There is an architect behind the course that you are on if you're lost, and the architect is Satan. Look at the Bible. It says that you were of your father, actually, following the prince of the power of the air. So this rut gets deeper. This furrow is not just a lost person follows the course of this world. It goes deeper than that. A lost person serves. And I know that's a strong word, but that's exactly what it means. You serve under the direction of Satan when you are lost. Again, people think, I'm just living my libertarian freedom. No, the scripture says if you're lost, you serve the prince of the power of the air. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And Satan is called the ruler of this world. Now think with me. What does it mean for Satan to be the prince of the power of the air? Is he an ultimate authority over over everything? Absolutely not. When it says world, we're speaking again of that hostile uh, sphere that is against all that God is for. Think about this. How would you feel if you created the world and the world hates you? That's the situation that mankind is in apart from Jesus Christ. So, Colossians 1 reminds us that we have been delivered from that domain. So, Satan himself is the prince of the power, ruler of that sphere. And when we get to Ephesians 6, we're going to unpack that, right? Spiritual warfare. Principalities in high places. What God asks us to do as his people... But for the most part, right now, think about this. God is drawing attention to the architect behind the way that people live apart from Christ. And it's not only that you're walking the course of the world. It is that you yourself are a servant of the enemy. And what can we say about uh, dualism? Because you're tempted to think about, well... Life is just about good versus evil, and they're kind of equal, and one of them's going to win out in the end. No, that's baloney. God has already won the victory. God has already accomplished the purposes, and he will eventually accomplish it all. We're not talking about dualism, but we are talking about the fact that the enemy has special supernatural sway over the evil world that is against God. And folks, get this, young people. This is so serious and something you need to think about. Satan is supra-terrestrial. But he is not, but he is also sub-celestial. In other words, he is under God. God has all authority, but make no mistakes about it. Even though God is sovereign and he has unrivaled sovereignty, you better take this point seriously. 
all lost people are walking according to the course of the world and they serve under the direction of Satan. All people outside of Christ are in that bag. Not just some, because there's some pretty nice people out there in the world, right? Look, we're, not, we're talking about con- condition of mankind apart from Jesus Christ. So, if you live according to the spirit of this age, then you're living under a servant. You're living under the tyranny of Satan. Well, since I've got children in here, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you as youth, young people? Even if you're living in a Christian home where your parents are doing their best to teach you God's word and way, and if you are presently outside of Christ, then you are living according to the spirit of this age and you are living under the influence of the devil. No matter how godly your mom and dad are. Some of you should know enough of the Bible to know that the devil desires your destruction. I mean, we dabble in stuff and we think, do we really have an enemy in this world? I want to remind you, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil desires for you to live a life of rebellion against God. He wants you to turn away from everything your mom and dad has ever taught you from the word of God. It's all too common for children to come out from under the authority. You've seen it in this church, haven't you? It's all too common for people to come outside of the authority of their parents and they dart headlong into a life of their own heart's desires. Check it out. What is your heart's desires if you're lost? To go after the course of this world, a furrow that you cannot get out of. What else? Satan who works in the sons of disobedience. Your so-called friends at school will whisper in your ear, it's not really that bad. It's okay. Just dabble in this. Just dabble in that. It's going to be okay, but mark my words. Satan's aim is your eternal damnation. Can I make it plain to you? Plain to you? Satan's desire is for every one of you young people to go to hell. He's not, a, he's not playing games. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants utter destruction. And mark my words, he comes after the offspring of Christians more than anybody else. This church, FBCO Ozark, you better wake up. You need to stop lowering the bar as parents and raise the bar on the teaching of the Word of God. Why do you think we're in the shape we're in today? We don't think our kids can learn anything. And yet there's a girl. Is you up there? Is Hallie up there? She's, where, is she here? Yeah. She's 16 years old. And she hears the term predestination. She's like, you know what? I need to study this term. So she does more than study. She writes a paper. And it's accepted for a scholarship at Union University. And it's actually published. Why? Because truth matters. Right? What you believe matters. Young people, you need to wake up. The enemy wants to destroy you. And parents, don't lower the bar. Raise the bar. Isn't it awesome that God led me to this text on Discipleship Now Weekend? Now, Jeffrey may not be as wild as I am, right? But I know he believes the truth of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I know he's taught on sin. So please listen to me. Satan lays out the bait. And who gets the bait? Sons of disobedience. That's a Hebrew terminology for people who walk against God. In other words, sons of disobedience do not know 
the sons of disobedience. That is the teaching of the scripture. So, not only do we see walking according to the course of the world, living under the direction of Satan, but here's the last one. Internally, you, according to the Bible, if you're lost, you live according to the desires of the flesh. In other words, well, apart from Jesus, man is corrupt. And he does what comes naturally. He, he follows the lust of the flesh. So Paul is talking about the former way of life. Fallen man. What does that look like? Self-centered? Fulfilling our own way? Doing our own thing? Uh, getting our own uh, kicks apart from the Lord? But what does flesh mean? Does it mean this? No, folks. It is the fallen nature within you. That's what that speaks of. Flesh starts. It's actually... Uh, the passions that are within us. And Romans 8, 8 says that in your flesh you cannot please God. In your flesh you cannot please God. So this is what the Lord God has delivered us from. Now some of us are thinking, well, when it talks about passions, that it has to be only talking about sexual passions. No, that's not true. It's talking also about carnal appetites. Yes, passions have to do with sexual passions outside of the confines of the law of God. But it also has to do with carnal appetites. You good Baptist, you may give you some others. The passions that you actually walked in before you met Christ. How about anger? How about envy? How about rage? How about dissensions? That's the way you used to walk before Christ made you alive. How about selfish ambitions? Galatians 5.20 this way of life dominated your existence. In other words, you just gave all to the dictates of your fleshly passions. Folks, I don't know about y'all, but I think we're in pretty bad shape. Dead. Enslaved. To the course of the world. To the devil. To our own internal fleshly passions. For Paul, there's only one thing that can overcome that. Are you listening? It's called resurrection. There's only one thing that can overcome that. When you're dead, enslaved, and condemned, only Jesus can make you alive. Amen. Only God can take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. So we were enslaved to the world, to Satan, and to the flesh. And then finally we're condemned under God. Notice what the verse says clearly. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's the consequences of our sinful condition? It results in alienation from God, the wrath of God. We know Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God has already gone out against all ungodliness. But one day, folks, listen, God will fully and ultimately deal with it. God will fully one day deal with sin. And I want to remind you that everybody in this building is going to stand accountable one day before God. It says it in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. Now, we're getting close to ending. Are y'all listening? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as, the son, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the good purpose of his will. And then you read verse 3. And it says that we're all before Christ under the wrath of God. Do y'all see the contrast? Wrath versus the love of God in saving us. Y'all clearly see that? Is there not a contrast? Should we not stop and ask the question, does wrath 
contradict love? Should we not ask that question? What is wrath? It is the manifestation of, a, of the character of a holy and blameless God. And I want to remind you, listen. Did you know that holy and blameless is what God also requires of you? It has nothing to do with fairness. It, happens to do, it has to do with the character of a holy and blameless God. Of which you have to be holy and blameless before you can go to heaven. Anybody realize that you're in a dreadful condition? Are you holy and blameless? Then somebody's got to pay a penalty in order for you to be holy and blameless. Somebody's got to make you alive. Someone has to do something on our behalf. Is not this an appropriate response to our rebellion against God that we deserve wrath? Absolutely. Paul uses the word by nature. What does he mean by that? That was your status before God when you were born. By nature means that's, that's who you were. Arnold said because the wrath of God comes... As a result of our status, we are dead in trespasses and sin. So in one sense, it can be said that we were all born dead. Please get this. Living according with the nature is a bondage that leads to God's judgment. You have to be given a new nature. If you stay in your old nature without Christ, then you will be condemned justly by God because of your sins. That's what the Bible teaches. That's not popular, and that's not even popular in pulpits, even in our area. But that's what the Bible says. The Bible teaches this. Note this final expression, as also the rest of mankind. Y'all do get this, that God has a right to condemn all of us in our sins. And he's going to say that on, over here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Listen to this. Let no one deceive you with empty words. If you hear anything other than what I'm about to say, then you're confused with empty words. Right? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes out against the sons of disobedience. Hear it clearly from the word of God. Now here's the conclusion. Did Paul wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Did he have a mental lapse? Was he, was he just having a bad day? And he gets up and says, okay, man is dead, enslaved, and content, condemned by God. Is this really man's condition before God in a lost con condition? Well, here's the conclusion. Folks, we're radically depraved. And we are unable to come to God apart from the new birth. Our behavior is explained by all three of these things. World, Satan, flesh. And you know it, and I know it. They all three play a part in the sinful condition of man apart from Christ. Morally, hear this clearly. Morally. You are incapable of responding to God apart from grace. In this condition, dead, enslaved, and condemned, mankind cannot respond to God on his or her own. That's why grace is so amazing. Aren't you thankful for grace? Either we deny this diagnostic black piece of velvet with a diamond sitting on it, and just say man is basically good and he's going to be fine. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we have a desperate condition and we need the Savior. Morally, we are not capable of responding to God apart from grace. The fact is, we don't want to respond to God apart from grace. We don't. Now, let me conclude with a fantastic passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 2. Would you all turn there with me? We're wrapping up. Could everybody put their eyes on this text? This is important. 
How can you be saved? And how, how can you get out of this dreadful condition? How can you be guaranteed heaven when you die? Whew, that's pretty big, isn't it? Listen to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Young people, who are we talking about? Who partook of the same things? Jesus Christ. That's why he came down from heaven. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is who? The devil. Oh, isn't it good to read the Bible and see? And then notice on. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You could be sitting here today in subjection to a lifelong slavery of fearing death. That's the condition of a lost person. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted also. Notice this. He took on flesh and blood, ultimately so that he could die. Because as God Almighty, God doesn't die. But the Son of God takes on identification with us, yet he had no sin. In order to accomplish something, Christ had to become one of us. Y'all get that? But the rest of verse 17 is different than verse 14 and 15. And the difference shows in how it is that Christ defeated the devil by dying for us. How did he defeat the devil by dying for us? Tell me. Giant theological word in that text. The biggest word there. Which one is it? He did it by propitiation. What did, what did Ephesians 2 say? The wrath of God was against us in condemnation. Folks, who takes your wrath? Jesus. That's propitiation. He, he was perfectly innocent, Hebrews 4.15. And his death is to bear the guilt and punishment of my sins. Not his own, but my sins. And when our punishment falls on him, our wrath is taken away. Hallelujah! Think about this. When it falls on him, the wrath is taken away. That's what propitiation means. God's justice is satisfied. He loved us enough to put his own son forward to absorb the punishment that we deserve so that he could demonstrate that he is both just and faithful in forgiving sinners. If it were not for Jesus, God would never forgive a sinner. It's impossible because no man can meet that justice. No man, no man possible can do that. So we ought to be thankful for Jesus. Folks, this is our great gospel. This is Christ dying in our place. This is our God propitiating God, removing his righteous anger, so that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what does it do for you when there's no condemnation? You don't have fear of death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Is anybody in this building subject to lifelong slavery to death? In layman's terms, are you afraid to die? Huh. 
Peter Marshall tells the story of a young boy about four years old who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. At first, he was just simply sick and in the bed, and he didn't understand his condition. But eventually, he realized that he wasn't going to get better. And he wasn't ever going to have a time where he could go out and play with his friends again. One morning, he asked his mother, am I going to die? And she said, yes, dear. And he said, mommy, what is death like? Will it hurt? The mother ran out of the room just like I would have. And she leaned against the refrigerator. Her knuckles gripped the refrigerator door until they turned white. And she kept crying. She prayed because she was a believer and said, Lord God Almighty, would you help me give an answer? So she walked back in and she sat on the bed with her son. And she said, son, young people don't ever forget this. Do you remember how you used to play outside all day? And when you came inside at night, you were so tired you would just fall on the couch and go to sleep. But in the morning, you woke up in your own bed. During the night, your father would come along and pick you up and carry you to your own bed. She said, that's what death is like for a believer. One night, you lie down and you go to sleep. And your heavenly father picks you up and carries you to your own bed. In the morning when you wake up, you're in your own room in heaven. That's good theology. Because the Bible says that he goes to prepare a place for you. Many rooms. It says mansion, but it's really rooms are prepared. The little boy smiled and nodded, and several weeks later he died peacefully. Folks, Satan's hold is broken by Jesus Christ coming forth from the grave. Don't you realize that because Jesus Christ conquered grave, death no longer has a sting. The Lord Jesus Christ plucked the stinger straight out of death. Look, do you have confidence that you're saved this morning? Now check this out. If you have a constant refrain of disobedience to God, then you are a son of disobedience. And that's true for everybody in here. Do you, do you sense conviction when you sin? Do you have a, a desire in your life to follow Christ more than anything else in life? Because we forget that, right? Oh, Jesus died on Calvary. Ask him into your heart. I'm going to heaven. Yippee. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when you trust Christ, you follow him. Your life is a lifestyle of following Jesus Christ. Are you perfect? Absolutely not. But one of the greatest signs that you belong to God is that you will be convicted when you sin. You will have a desire to walk with Jesus and not be a son of disobedience. I'm telling you, folks, somebody ought to get saved this morning. I'm not the Lord, and I'm not sovereign, and I can't save anyone. But if I could, I'd save a lot of you right now, right? Amen. Let's listen. Brother David's going to sing. And if you don't know the Lord, please respond to the Lord. And if you're saved today, aren't you so thankful that the Father is going to take us to glory? Amen. Amen. Let's rise together and sing that on the third at break of dawn. That on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar, Christ our King. Oh, praise. Oh, praise. Praise the name of the Lord. 
bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise! Oh, Mike and Kathy, this is Mike. Come on up here. This is, well, you're you standing next to all those youth. You can at least come up here with me, right? Yeah. They probably didn't even take a bath all weekend, right? Uh, this is Mike and Kathy Scaldon. Uh, they feel like part of us already, but they want to officially stand before you today, and Mike and Kathy want you to know they've completed the uh, membership class those four weeks, and so we want to put them before you and tell them they're, they're our newest members here at First Baptist Church Ozark. Amen. To God be the glory. We want y'all to go to the back, and all these youth are going to come by and love on you, right? All right. No, seriously, we'll let y'all go back. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, I thought maybe you could end and maybe do a couple of special thanks, and also recognize a family in the back that have been listening online for six months that live in California, and they're here today. All right. All right. Amen. All right, I'm supposed to do something. Well, I'll start with, I'll start with what he ended with. Um, God's, God is great, and God is good. And God's working here in this place. God's working in all around Springfield, Missouri, all around the world. And um, even when we don't know what's going on and we think the world's falling apart, God is working in people's lives. And uh, we did have some guests come from um, Los Angeles, California area. They've been looking to find a place to call home. Um, the Dyer family, they've, they've come, they spent some time with us, um, our, our kids. I just want to tell you guys, how to, we have wonderful youth that bring in people. As, 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 new, as, as new people ourselves, we, our children, our family have been brought in and accepted. And um, so anyway, they're, they're, they're here. So thank you, um, Dyers, for coming. And um, it's, it's, we appreciate you coming here um, and, and being with us. Pastor, what else did you ask me to? I'm sorry. I've got, I, I've got, I've got the memory of a goldfish. I should have slept. All right, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. I, I'm, I'm about to preach a second sermon, and I better ought not to. All right, let's pray. You know, God is, God is wonderful, and let's just go and praise him and, and ask him to bless us. Father in heaven, we love you because you first loved us. And while we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love for us, and you sent your son to die on the cross. And I pray right now that as we come and as we have come into contact with the truth of your word, I pray that you would give all of us a healthy understanding of our depraved state before you made us alive. And I pray that we would see ourselves and the plight that we're in. And I pray, though, though our plight is dark and our situation is dire, 
I pray that you would shine the light of Jesus Christ in our hearts, the glory of the gospel, that Jesus died for us, and Jesus came to save sinners. And I pray right now for boldness. It's easy within the four walls of our church, Lord, to sing about this and to tell it. But Lord, there's a world outside that needs to know the same thing. And I pray that we would extend the invitation of the gospel to all of those people around us and bring sinners to repentance. And may heaven rejoice for what you're doing. I pray a blessing upon all of us that are here today. We love you. And it's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. God bless. Remember to, we'll see you tonight at the Lord's Supper, 530.